Welcome to Talking Sports with Sports Programming, a podcast of the sports programming class at Arkansas State University's Creative Media Production Department. Now, let's talk sports with the sports programming class. Hello and welcome to another segment of Courtside with Caleb Neal. And today we're going to be talking about a very controversial in sports. Uh, One that, you know, wouldn't really, you know, would think would be controversial. But uh, you should want to be good when it comes to sports. Yeah, I know. It's a weird, weird, just complex ideology. But you should want your team to be good. So basically what I'm getting at with this there's been a big deal with tanking in the NBA, or really all sports. There's been tanking, which is when you intentionally lose games towards the end of the season. Or, you know, if midway through the season you realize, okay, our roster is just not good enough. And, you know, oh, a player's hurt? We're not going to push it. He's, he can sit out a few extra games. It's fine. But basically, it's losing intentionally. And I think tanking, I'm all for it. I'm or not all for it. That was well, that was wrong. But I'm all for it if it's like the last few games of the season, one of your stars is dealing with an injury. You know what? Let him sit out a few games. That's fine. I'm and especially if you're like in a tight race for a top draft pick, I kind of understand that no matter what the sport is. But it's also you also have to recognize that it's bad for your culture and can lead to a lot of players getting bad ideologies bad ideas on how to win and honestly it doesn't it just doesn't make a winning culture but on the other side of this is there's a big there's a lot of heated debate right now in sports at least in the NBA Twitter world that if you're not contending or building your roster to contend at the highest level then what are you doing and I used to think this way this was how I felt whenever I was in high school watching the NBA getting really deep into it for the first time and I used to feel that way but then I kind of realized and looked back on the ro- back at the rosters of most of the championship winning teams and realized most of them most of the championship winning teams actually pretty much all of them for the past 10 years have had a top five NBA talent if not higher on their team whether it's Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard in his run with Toronto where he was just the best player in the world for a solid minute, or obviously LeBron James. I understand that if you that you should want to win a championship no matter what, but honestly, in order to win a championship, most of the time you have to have a top five talent. That's just a, that's just factual. If you go back, you look Giannis, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, LeBron, like this is just a repeating theme. We've 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 come to understand this, and there's some examples where people outside of the top five have won it. Dirk Nowitzki, of course, but that that was a, that wasn't a shot at Dirk Nowitzki, of course. I, I'm a big Dirk guy, but my thing is, while you should want to contend, sometimes it's just not possible, and you can't. Dra- you're not gonna. Sometimes you're not able to get a high enough draft pick. Sometimes you're not gonna get that generational talent. Sometimes you're just not gonna be able to develop those players like the Bucks developed Giannis. Sometimes you're just a small market. And you're not able to bring them in because a lot of these teams brought in free agents. The, the Warriors were already a championship-winning team and brought in Kevin Durant, but that's because they had they had a you know boost for the cap space. They had a nice market where he ended up making a lot of money in tech, and he's still making a lot of money in tech. 
and they were able to attract him. And I'm a big Memphis Grizzlies guy. There's not a chance in hell that we could ever get Kevin Durant. We couldn't convince a top five player to come play for us. I, I'm just a realist. But I also think there's value to being a good team, just a regularly good team. And what I, why I say this is because last year the Phoenix Suns went on a crazy run and nobody – I even said – and I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty – not to be too narcissistic, which I pretty much am, but I feel like I'm pretty well-versed on basketball – and I said that Phoenix, barring injury, wouldn't be able to make a finals run. Maybe Western Conference finals, but wouldn't be able to make a finals run. And wouldn't you know it, it was the most injury-riddled playoffs ever for any basketball season. And it was ridiculous. And Phoenix went on a run. They played great basketball, loved their roster, Aiden Booker, Chris Paul, Mikael Bridges. I could go on and on about how much I love Phoenix except for their owner. But there's value in being a good team because you never know what's going to happen and also, whenever whenever you look at teams like Phoenix, Phoenix a couple years ago was in the lottery, every draft lottery, every single year. They were fighting for, an, they were hoping that the lottery ball would, the lottery balls would fall in their favor, year after year after year. And now look at them, because they actually went out and made a move and got a veteran point guard that's an All Star Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards to ever play the game, in Chris Paul. Making moves like that help you out in the long run. The Chicago Bulls this year. They've been making terrible, terrible teams over and over and over again. They went out in free agency, spent money, got Lonzo Ball, got Alex Caruso, got DeMar DeRozan. The fit was off. Like, the fit was off, everybody was saying. But it's working out. They are 4-0. and They just started – they just went 4-0 and tonight. And I just think that no matter what, you should always be trying to build the best possible roster that you possibly can. And just being a competitive team, there is value in that. What up, what up, what up? I'm Q Lowry. And on this segment of Talking Sports with the sports programming class at Arkansas State University, I want to borrow your ears for a few minutes to talk about the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback situation. Now, I don't think no one was as hype as Spencer Rattler coming into this upcoming college football season. He was considered the Heisman frontrunner and a potential top five pick in this upcoming NFL draft. Now, with the NCAA allowing student-athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness, Rattler has made a lot of money from his NIL deals. So that means it was a lot of people expecting him to live up to the hype. But six games into this college football season, he is no longer the starting quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners. I think no one, I mean no one seen this coming. Where the Heisman frontrunner, and potential number one pick will lose his job. Now, to be fair, last year, Rattler was benched against Texas like he was this year, but he didn't lose his starting job. But if you look at this season, Oklahoma been barely winning, and that was against unranked teams. So, I think a lot of Sooners fans was waiting for him to be benched because during the game against West Virginia, he was booed for his poor play. And a lot of fans was wanting Lincoln Riley to insert 
true freshman Caleb Williams. But he didn't. But two weeks later, the fans got their wish. Now, Caleb Williams was considered the number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school and a five-star recruit and was expected to be the quarterback of the future for the Sooners. But all that changed when Oklahoma went up against their rival Texas in the Red River Showdown. Rivalry, rather. And Oklahoma was down 28-7 entering the second quarter. And it was a fourth and one. So Lincoln Riley decided to insert Williams into the game. I believe he did is because Williams is an excellent runner. So on fourth and one, here comes Caleb Williams. And when he took the snap, he broke for a 66-yard touchdown run. And that brought the game to 28-14. And I think that ended Rattler's time in Oklahoma because Williams led the Sooners back for the largest victory in the Red River rivalry showdown history. And I think that would end it Rattler's time as the Oklahoma Sooners quarterback. Even though Lincoln Riley refused after the game and the week leading up to the game against TCU to name Williams as a starter. But I think everyone knew that this job was Williams to lose. Now, I'm assuming at the end of the season, Rattler will enter the transfer portal. You know, because I don't think he would stay there to be a backup next year to Caleb Williams. Now, I think this might be the first time in college football history that a guy came in with this much hype to start a season and ended up being benched to end the season. But I think it's still hope for Rattler. Because now the NCAA allows quarterbacks to transfer and not sit out a year. So I think that's what Rattler will wind up doing at the end of the season. And he should keep his head up high because there have been a few quarterbacks who have transferred from other programs and went on to win the Heisman and go number one overall in the NFL draft. Two for me come to mind. And they both played at Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield, who transferred from Texas Tech, and Callum Murray, who transferred from Texas A&M. Both of them won the Heisman and went number one overall in the NFL draft. The year each of them came out, back-to-back years, actually. So it's still a chance for Rattler to do everything that everyone expected him to do coming into this season. But... It might just have to be at another program. But my only concern is the examples I gave was two players who transferred to Oklahoma and went on to win the Heisman B number one overall picks because it's a seemed like a trend. Even Jalen Hurst transferred from Alabama 
after Tua took over for him. And he even went on to be drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. So, that's the only concern with Rattler. But it still could be done. So maybe Spencer Rattler would do everything that everybody expected him to do this year, next year. Hey everyone, it's Valeria and this is Who, What and How, Women Row, Drought Sports. So this week I would like to talk about tennis, of course, the sport. And in episode one, I mentioned the battle of the sexes and how important it was to position women into sports, into this sport specifically. And um, the woman involved here in the sport was Billie Jean King, well, in that tournament. So women started practicing um, tennis, but there was like this back, back in the time. So today we will talk about the road of women in tennis, some quick dates, and at the end I'll mention some of the tennis icons of all the time. Also, throughout the, the segment you will hear some and their names, and there is, these ones are also really important, that's why they are here. So in history, people consider Jules de Pomme as ancestor of tennis. Jules de Pomme, it's a French words that basically in, in English are palm game. Um, of course, it's in French because the game was originated in France. And it's basically using the palms as rackets. But coming more into the US, we have Mary Ewing Otterbridge, which was the woman that brought tennis to the US back in 1874. Uh, she purchased some equipment in Bermuda and set up the first tennis court in Staten Island. So, this is how. Um, tennis became more and more important in the US. Then during the 1800s there was a lot happening in tennis. Women's single tennis competitions were added to Wimbledon, um, which is like a really big tournament for tennis. Then we have Ellen Hansel, who was crowded the first women's singles tennis championship at the US Open. And something really impressive is that Ellen was only 17 years old during the tournament. And this was in the 1800s when Mary Ewing like brought tennis to the to the to the US. So how like everything happened so fast, people winning the tournaments. How impressive. And she only did it this for a few years since later she retired to tennis and become a mother. So well I mean, her her achievements are really important because she was the first woman to win the U.S. Open. Then, in the 1900, uh, something really important happened too because we have the first 19 women to compete in the modern Olympic Games in Paris. And yeah, there were a lot of games women were playing, but the played and they played only in three sports. And one of the most popular uh, sport with women was tennis. So a lot of women playing tennis around that time. Also, what people don't talk about is like the outfit the, for the tournaments. And well, during the Summer Olympics, um, France, like the Suzanne Lang Langlin, who was from France, she abandoned the customary tennis 
garb and she used a short a pleated skirt sleeveless silk blouse and matching sweater and in this moment susan became an important icon for tennis history she took the normal outerwear for tennis and she was wearing a more like something that made her feel more comfortable more more challenging for her and also Suzanne is really important in history because between 1919 and 1926 she was she only lost one match and only one she was people describe her as like a kind of a player that never gave an opponent the same kind of shot twice in a row which is completely different and difficult you know how you give a different shot and in really important tournaments you have to st start thinking about many many things and wow really difficult so well uh going more more into sponsors and how women were having money in this sport um most of the time receiving sport sponsors for women is more difficult than for men But in 1971, Billie Jean King became the first woman athlete to ever receive more than 100,000 in a single season at any sport. So this is a proof that no matter who you are or what are you doing, you should always keep your heads up and look for the opportunities. Opportunities are always coming unexpectedly. And before this, women, I mean, Billie had won her first Wimbledon title, which she repeated for three years in a row. Then remember the battle of the sexes? Well, it was Billy, the same woman from that Thorine episode one. So she is such a revolutionary icon in tennis. By the end of decade uh, 1989, the number of women who played tennis had risen from four to 11 million. So this is something really remarkable. Now, even women tennis is televised. Um, Serena and Venus Williams made it a historic US Open and the first women final televised prime time from Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. So definitely women in tennis have made a lot of history. From Jules de Palme to changing the sports world to being sponsored and making the world see, see them like through TV, now online and stuff. And it, has been, it hasn't been an easy road but not always what's easy is the best. Now there are other women tennis icons such as Maria Sharapova or Serena Williams, even Lindsay the Penboard, all amazing women. Now you know the names more about tennis women, road throughout tennis. And I hope you learned something and well, it's all for today. Which sports history should we analyze next week? See you next time for more women's road throughout sports. Andrew Jones, welcome to this week's segment of Oh So Impressive. Now last week, we talked about the NFL. This week, we are talking about the NBA. And this game in particular we're talking about is a season opener with Golden State and the LA Lakers. Golden State was outscored in every quarter but the last two. But thanks to that last, that second half rally, they ended up winning the game 121 to 114. Curry finished with a triple-double, going 10, with 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and 21 points. Now, Poole from the Warriors was the second high score on the team with 20 points. On the other hand, the Lakers balled out as well. 
You had James and AD combining for 67 points. Each had 11 rebounds, still each. AD had two blocks, while James had the one. The Warriors got plenty of production from their bench, which I ultimately think helped win the game for them. Because the Lakers, their bench didn't really produce as much points as they needed to help them get the win. AD and LeBron had to do most of the work for them. Now, Liam Balasia put up 15 points apiece for the team off the bench. And Iguodala put up 12 for them. Balasia was the most productive off the Warriors bench, going with 15 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, and 1 steal. Melo was the most productive player off the Lakers bench, going with 9 points and 4 rebounds. The Lakers finished with 50 rebounds, 30 assists, 9 steals, and 2 blocks, while LA finished with 45 rebounds, 21 assists, 7 steals, and 4 blocks. I think the Warriors just played better team ball and proved to be a more impressive team out there on the court. I think their chemistry was all settled in and they figured it out early on, you know, get their win over LA and get off to a good start for the year. Uh, LA, they just need to work on their team chemistry, in my opinion. You know, a bunch of new players came in this year, still trying to get settled in, still trying to get adjust to the system. You got players that have been jumped around, like bounced around from team to team, and you know, all the different mindsets from other teams are still in there. And they're just trying to figure out how to get that mindset out of there and get the new LA mindset in there. You know, LA is a tough city to play for. But they just got to get their mindset settled in, and I'm sure this team will be a hard team to beat. They got a bunch of highly talented players, and I'm sure that in time, they will be quite the team to go against. L.A., they're going to be a good team. They have James and A.D. up there. You know, they're going to give you production every night. That's without a doubt. And then you got Melo, Rondo, you know, Dwight Howard. They're all coming in. They're doing their thing. And then you got Westbrook, who, in my opinion, has the most proof to show that he is actually a baller out there. You know, he's proved year after year that he is he is a dog. The man averaged triple-double year after year after year. And so you just got to get him in that mindset to be a dog again and just go out there and fit that system so that he can help them get to the next level and win the games that they need to win to take it ultimately to the uh, championship. Now, this is year 19 for James. And he went out there and produced and produced and produced to almost win the game for them. You know, him and AD, they did their thing. James is in year 19 of his basketball career, which is the most impressive thing out of this whole uh, show today. He is truly deserving of the nickname he was given, King James, because he is in a league on his own. I mean, year 19 of basketball. I'm sure the wear and tear from the games, he's feeling it. But the man is out there doing what he does best, and that is ball out. I mean, I'm not the biggest James fan, but I got to acknowledge his skill and his his game. Because if you are a true basketball fan, you have to acknowledge his, his game. Because it's just so great. You know, you got other players. You got KD, Giannis, Steph. Great players. I mean, just great players. But I, I just personally don't see them doing the things he does, especially in year 19. Because by then, you got people that's retired because the wear and tear is getting to them. You know, all the travel you got to do for it, it gets to them. But James is still producing despite all of that. He's out there balling day in, day out, putting the work in in the offseason. He's just going. He's like a freight train that can't be stopped. And, you know, I'm just interested to see how this year goes for him. 
I'm interested in if he's going to get his team to the finals again. Because, you know, there was a long span where he was just taking every team he was on to the finals. And, you know, he didn't win all of those appearances. But the fact that he got there time after time still proved that he was that man. That he was the player to beat each year. And that whatever team he was on was going to be a contender. And I feel like that's going to be the same this year. Because after seeing what he did in the season opener, when, you know, he had to carry his team to the victory because his players just didn't produce the way they needed to, I mean, that's impressive. I'm not saying he's going to have to do that every night, because I'm sure once the game, once the team gets settled in, he's not going to have to produce as much as he had, as he did this game because he's going to have people to help him. And I'm just excited to see how that goes for him. Like I said, I'm not the biggest James fan, but you got a knowledge game, and that man has it. But that's going to be this, seg- this week's segment for Oh So Impressive. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hey, Longhorn fans. Welcome back to another segment of The Bevo with your host, Seamus. We're going to recap a little bit from Longhorn Athletics. Your number one ranked women's volleyball team extended their streak to 15-0 after beating TCU in a doubleheader last week. They will take on Iowa State today and tomorrow. Your women's soccer team tied TCU 0-0 in double overtime, and they will play this week as well. They extended or their streak, not their streak, but their record is now 8-3-4. And, and now, football fans, another disappointing week. Um, I wish I could bring in more positive news, but it seems like all the positive news that I list and talk about, the dream just shatters every Saturday. But um, your Texas Longhorns football team lost to the University of Baylor 24-32. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but first we're going to talk about the upcoming schedule and the remaining of the season. So... We have a bye, Texas Longhorns have a bye week this week, which is much needed. I think it'll be a good time to recoup, re, reiterate, whatever Coach Sark has got to do in that locker room to get these guys to perform in the fourth and third quarter. You know, I think our shots at the Big 12 championship are, are gone. Uh, we've lost to the two teams that we needed to beat, at least one of them, and I don't see them losing in the near future or losing enough to give us another run for it. But um, we uh, we will come back to play number 20-ranked Baylor next Saturday. Not this coming Saturday, but the next Saturday. Um, all I can – we just we just got to win out or at least just keep winning as many games as possible to, to make a quality bowl game and to show that Texas Longhorns football is still alive and that we're just not going to f- crumble after a couple bad weeks. But um, now back to this past game. Just similar to similar to the week before, week before's loss to Oklahoma, we came in there. I believe we took a twenty-four to ten lead at halftime. Had a two-three score lead, and you know just completely owned, completely just dominated the first half. Could not stop Bijan Robinson on the ground. Casey Rob Casey Thompson looked confident, comfortable, and was just lighting them up from back there in the pocket. And then I. I don't know what happened in the locker room. You know, we went into halftime, and then we just came out, and it just looked like a completely different team. 
We quit running the ball. We quit feeding our most productive player and Heisman candidate, B. John Robinson. He hardly touched the ball. Uh, Casey Rock, Casey Thompson got uh, he got sacked, got hit a couple times, and started making bad throws. Started looking uncomfortable. Um, I don't know if the hits rattled him a little bit, and then playing more more uh, more aggressive just got him rattled and made him a little bit nervous. But he just looked uncomfortable through some through some bad throws, ended up in picks and the uh, stop drives for us. But just looked just didn't look like like first half Casey Thompson and second half Casey Thompson have been two completely different people these past couple of weeks. And I don't know what's going on in the locker room or what's being said, but something has got to change, guys. I don't know if somebody's got to go or somebody's got to say a little bit else to get fired up, but I don't know. I mean, just on the ground, completely owned the game second for the first half, and then second half came, and it's like we gave up let the gas off the pedal and you cannot do that against a uh, especially number eight ranked in the nation Oklahoma State you know them guys you, them guys are not going to quit when you go up on them and I don't know if that's what we're used to by playing cupcake teams that we're used to going up so big early and then them just folding and we get to cruise by in the second half but them guys didn't you know Malcolm Rodriguez middle linebacker for Oklahoma State just lit Casey Thompson a couple times got him out of his throwing motions got him feeling uncomfortable and forcing him to make bad throws and putting the ball back into the offense of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And, you know, they played exceptionally well. But I think moving forward, uh, you know, this bye week is going to be really going to be really beneficial. And I think that we're going to have to – I think we should stick to our script. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I know I repeat myself every week, but it's the truth. I believe that's the key to win. We have such a great scheme and script the first half of the ball game and then when we abandon it that's when we lose our lead you know we have a we got a good bye week coming up then we'll play 20 ranked Baylor and hopefully with a win we can get back into the top 25 but I think we're going to need you know we don't need to overwork him but I mean when you've got the best one of the best players in the country it seems kind of crazy to not give him the ball as much as you can I think in the second half you know Keep feed. I don't think we need to feed him every down like we tend to do in the first half, but still keep him in the rotation. Don't just take him completely out of the game because you're scared to get him hurt because, you know, then that's when we lose the big games like that. You know, teams like Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, they don't take out their guys when they go up in the first half. They keep them in there, and that's what I think we need to start doing, and we need to keep feeding Bijan and keep giving him the ball. Um, O-line, I think it's got to step it up. You know, I think Casey's getting hit too many times, and as a young freshman quarterback – Usually when them guys start to get hit a few times, they get nervous and they get um, indecisive. They start hesitating back there in the pocket. They start wanting to leave the pocket a little bit more. And then when they do stay in the pocket, they make bad reads because they're wanting to hurry up and get rid of the ball because they know they're going to get hit. Kind of like how Casey showed us against Oklahoma State this past weekend. He got hit a few times and then it just looked like he was just trying to get rid of it as soon as he can, which he didn't have very much help. You know, the uh, offensive line was just getting him killed throughout the second half, you know, wasn't helping at all. But I just think that with this next coming up weeks, we need to buckle down, keep sticking with what we're good at. That is the big key for the Longhorns. Stick to what you're good at. Don't try to branch off and do something else in the middle of a ranked team because that's when we start to lose. That's when things start to go south. But... We will put face this week by week. Hopefully, Coach Sar gets his guys rested up, and we did have some energy. We did have some injuries. Hopefully, them guys, you know, rest up, be able to go for the Baylor game. 
Coach Sark gets his team coached up, get that offensive line back in the groove, get Casey confident, make sure Bijan's healthy, ready to carry the workload. Keep that defense fired up, defense playing all right. Keep that defense happy. Keep them mean, make them aggressive. We will take on number 20 ranked Baylor next Saturday in Waco. So hopefully with an away game, you know, we can step it up, give uh, Daryl K. Rule Stadium a break, and let's just hope, let's go for them, get ready, prepare for them, and get ready to get a win and keep keep hopes alive for a good bowl game. So thank you for tuning in to the Bevo with Shea Amos. And as always, hook them, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Talking Sports with Sports Programming.